0: It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast, and I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service on July 22nd, and the speaker is a good friend of North Shore Vineyards, Jim Holland, who spoke recently at our church, but uh, was also filling in for me on this date as I was out of town on a vacation. The title of the talk is Jesus Zacchaeus the anti-kingdom. Got all kinds of exciting things going on at North Shore Vineyard as we're preparing to move into a new building. So uh, stay close to our website for updates on work days, different things we're doing to get the facilities ready. And we're shooting for a uh, moving our service there on Sunday, August 5th. Exciting times. But for the moment, let's visit our congregation at our North New Hampshire location. This is Jim Holland. Thanks for listening.
1: I'd like to invite everybody to to just stand for a minute. We're going to we're going to pray. We're going to invite God to do something. I don't I don't know if this is weird, but you know, you don't feel obliged, you don't feel guilty if you don't um, um God does He does things in the weird things, I find. Um, It's not usually in the normal things. A lot of times it's in the normal things, but sometimes it's stepping out of the comfort zone, I guess. Um, And so what I would like to do is is I want to take a moment just for us to invite God in, but I want to do it in a certain way. And um, what we're talking about today is God's kingdom uh, and as it relates to a, a certain individual's encounter with Jesus. And... Um, In Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Psalm 139, there's this very cool part. It just says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Uh Uh-huh. And lead me after that and lead me along the path of, of everlasting light. So I just want to take a minute. If you feel comfortable putting your hands out, putting your hands up, putting your hands down in your pocket, whatever works for you, Um, I want to invite, I want us to invite God in, to search us, to know all of those anxious places, the dark places, the hidden places. (sighs) Breathe. And ask him to point out anything that offends him. I'm not talking about intentional sin necessarily. I'm talking about where we just kind of miss it or where we don't hear it or where we're too busy. And so, God, we invite you to search us. And, God, that just scares the snot out of me. There is so much inside of me. But search me. Show me where I miss your kingdom and your way. And God, shine Your light on all of those places, in all those corners, and all those nooks, and all those cobwebs, and all those those uh, locked up closets that I don't let anybody see. And God, point out what is not best for me in Your kingdom. And help me in the path of righteousness, God. Just invite the Holy Spirit to just run through those dark places. Invite the Father to point out some things that maybe you have missed. Where you haven't tapped into His kingdom or you haven't allowed His kingdom to flow. And know that in doing that, it's a step. It's a new journey on the paths of righteousness. It's a new step in knowing intimately the person of Jesus. Let him in. Amen. Thank you just for indulging that. Just take that off the podcast. Crispin doesn't need to know about that. Well, um, today we're going to talk about the kingdom of God And what I'm calling, uh, it's not original, the anti-kingdom Everybody say anti-kingdom Okay, the anti-kingdom And how uh, it relates to this person We know as Zacchaeus Zacchaeus, his name uh, is tied to Zachary, Zachariah Zach? Anybody in here named Zach? Anybody in here named Zachariah? Anybody know what Zach, what that comes from? You know what it means? Where it comes from. Zach, Zachariah, that root, uh, it, in the Hebrew, it means the righteous one. So here you have this guy named Zacchaeus, and if you know the story, he's anything but the righteous one. Now, how many of you grew up in church? And you know the Zacchaeus song. Come on, raise your hand if you know it. We're all going to sing it. No, we're not. But we, we know uh, the Zacchaeus song. And the problem uh, with the Zacchaeus song, and with the Zacchaeus story, is we do it in children's church. In adult situations, we don't really study it. We kind of fly through it. We go, oh, he's a tax collector. He was evil. And we move on. And he got right with God. We move on. And there's a, there's a few stories like that that we deal with in the Bible and that we kidify them. I made up that word too, kidify. Uh, One of them, it drives me nuts, is Noah's Ark. We love to, we have little boats and little things like that, and then you, you know, somebody gets pregnant, they have a nursery, somebody's gonna be mad when I say this, and they have little Noah's Arks (laughs) on the wall, you know, because God saves, and he's so, so cute, and then one day, you know, little, we'll call him Zachary. Little Zachary's going to go, oh, it's Noah's Ark. Mommy, why did you paint a scene where God killed everything on the earth? <laughs> we kiddify the story where God erases pretty much all life on the planet. And we make it this cute little kid story. Well, this is the same, uh, same way with Zacchaeus. And we do it because the Bible says he was what-sized little man. He was a wee little man, um, and so we miss the, the bigger version. So if you want to, open up to Luke 19, and we're going to get there in just a second. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles about the place. Uh, I think back over here in the corner. Nobody's going to look at you if you want to go get one. And so here's what we've got to understand. I love history. Anybody else in here, a history kind of buff, nut? You like, to, you like the back story before you get to the real story. Anybody like that? Okay, I'm the only one, so okay. You will be bored for a minute. No, you won't. All right, here's what's going on at the time. Israel has been conquered by Rome. They are an oppressed people. Rome, well, let's, let's do it this way. Maybe this will make it a little more real. Imagine for a second that Mississippi comes in and conquers southern Louisiana. Just imagine. Are you imagining? you're like, oh, that ain't ain't happening. I got too many guns. Okay. So Mississippi attacks uh, southern Louisiana. You know, they attack them with uh, cotton and soybeans and catfish and whatever else. They come in. They take over southern Louisiana. And they say, as all conquerors do, well, now that we own this land, you have to pay us. You have to pay us out of what you make. And so now if you make, you know... If, if a, an Israelite at the time was making you know six hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, that would have been funny. But if he if he made six hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and his tax was I don't know uh, five hundred thousand, I'm just making up numbers, then all of a sudden he owes an additional amount to Mississippi, which just doesn't seem fair because Mississippi's I can say that I'm from Mississippi, so it's you know it's it is what it is. So Rome comes in, they take over this 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 land, but more than that, they take over this people, God's people, and now they have to be taxed, and that tax has to go to Rome. Well, Rome figures out, here's how we're going to collect the taxes. We are going to get a Jewish person who lives in this area, who knows everybody, to collect taxes, and the way it works is that Bob, let's use Dan. I'll use Dan as an example, all right, because I know Dan. Dan says, I'll be a tax collector. So all of a sudden, his job is to get taxes from you. How do you feel about Dan now? Okay. And not only that, this is the way he gets taxes. He, he comes up and says, uh, or you come up to him because you don't want him to find you. And you come up and you pay your taxes. And so he evalu- evaluates what you own and all your property and all your assets and says, You owe $10,000, but wait, I thought I owed $6,000. No, you you owe 10. No, I owe six. And then you have a group of Roman soldiers who come up and he goes, okay, I owe 10. And so he has the weight of the Roman government and army standing behind him as he taxes his people. Now he gives Rome $6,000 and what's he do with the rest? He pockets it. Dan, man. He's got a few kids. (laughs) So when Dan comes into church and you see him, what do you think? String him up. up. Okay. So at the time, uh, they had these Jewish men who were collecting taxes and they were essentially stealing. They were extorting money using the power of the Roman army. Well, if you, uh, if you understand some of the things that were uh, going on, they were overcharging the Jews. And in doing that, they put a fear. Because they didn't know if at any moment the Roman army comes in with a tax collector and bankrupts them. They lose their inheritance. They lose their family land. And this can happen. And then the tax collector goes off and he takes whatever his... Ridiculous cut is, and so everybody hated these tax collectors. Um, the really bad part is the tax collectors were Jewish, so they were part of this kind of group of people. They were part of God's chosen people, and so when they would steal from other people of Israel, they were stealing from God's people. They were stealing. From God. And that is how they saw the tax collectors. Tax collectors did not have a lot of friends. As you can imagine. Nobody put on their Facebook status, going over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. They didn't even have him as friend on Facebook because they're like, I don't want anybody to know that I know Zacchaeus. And so this is the setting where we start the story of Zacchaeus. He's very wealthy. Um, He is stealing from God's people. He's stealing from God. And in Luke 19, the story goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho. Now, if you don't know geographically where Jericho is, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. This was his last walk before he got to Jerusalem to be put to death and resurrected. So on his way, he was passing through Jericho. He only had days to live. It says he he went through, he entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, the righteous one. He was the chief tax collector. He was not just the tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, which meant... When Dan, as a tax collector, made his money, then he passed what he owed plus a little bit up the pyramid. It's a big pyramid scheme. And who makes the most money? The guy at the top. Ironically, the wee little man. And so all that money goes to him. He is probably very notorious, clearly very wealthy. Probably everybody knows where he lives. He probably has servants. This guy's a big deal, at least from a monetary and power perspective. He is more than uh, just a tax collector. Levi, who became Matthew in the Bible, he was a tax collector. He was probably multiple rungs down from Zacchaeus. That's how the pyramid worked. All right, moving on. It said, he was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And in this, on this day, he tried to get a look at Jesus But was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore or a fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Okay, as I said a couple of weeks ago when I was here, Jewish men don't run. It is very uh, common to run. It's very indistinguished to run. And so this guy, he's got his Armani robes going on, you know. Uh, He's probably very well dressed. You can picture a guy who's a very uh, high-priced lawyer. He's got his briefcase, and he's just running down the street. It's kind of a weird picture, right? You don't run in a you know, $1,000, $2,000 suit. But this is what this guy was doing. So everybody's probably like, what's he doing? So he runs down the street, and he climbs a tree. Can you see a lawyer with his briefcase in an Armani suit climbing up a tree? This is kind of a weird picture. And I'm sure people are going, what is this guy doing? Well, there's something happening in Zacchaeus' heart. I believe that there was an emptiness that he knew about that had been growing. And he couldn't figure out what it was. Maybe it was loneliness. I don't know. But all of a sudden, he wants to see this man, Jesus. And he does whatever it takes to get up there. So the story goes on. He climbed this tree. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. Probably the only time anybody ever actually physically looked up to him. He looked up to him. And this is what he said. He called him by name. Now, I don't know if this was through a a word from the Holy Spirit. I don't know if he was just so notorious that everybody knew him. Or maybe Matthew, who had been a tax collector, said, man, that's the... That's the head of the IRS up there. He's like He's the he's the dude. And so Jesus looks at him. He calls him by name. Calling somebody by name. It says, "Personally, I know who you are." There's something particular about you. There's something special about you. He didn't just say, "Hey, you up in the tree. Hey, Mr. Tax Collector." He looked at him and he said, Zacchaeus. And when somebody knows your name, it means something. Have you ever, well, I'll give you an example. I come up here er, periodically, Crispin invites me to speak, and I walk in and some people I know their name, some people I know their face. But when people come up to me and they say, Jim, I'm like, cool. (laughs) Don't you feel like that when somebody, you just, how could they know my name? They know your name. Doesn't that feel amazing? No? <laughs> come on, admit some truth with me, people. It does. It feels really good to, to your heart, to your spirit, uh, to your ego. And so he calls him by name. And I'm sure Zacchaeus was like, maybe I'm in trouble. Maybe, maybe he just he knows me. And so this is what Jesus says. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. What? You must be a guest in my home. When you have somebody over to your home, do you usually like to invite people that you don't want to spend time with? You're like, let's invite them. I really, they're just boring and they won't stop talking, but let's (laughs) invite them anyway. And he's got really bad breath. Let's invite. No. You invite people over that you want to be with or you want to get to know better or, or you want to have community with or you want to share life with. And Jesus is saying to him, I want to do life with you. That had to be just a a revelation. That had to be just bombs exploding in Zacchaeus' life because nobody in the Jewish community, certainly not a rabbi, ever wanted to do that because look what happened. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people... Which people?
0: Taxpayers.
1: Taxpayers. Jewish people. Let's put it in our context. Church people. Congregation. But the people were displeased. Have you ever noticed a lot of times Christians get upset when God does something with somebody we think is undeserving? Mm-hmm. We're sitting there crying about our own situation and then God goes and helps somebody who is Not necessarily following God. And we go, what the heck? Why did did God heal that person and not this person? Why is God blessing that person and not blessing me? And so the church people, the Jewish people, who had been robbed by Zacchaeus, who had been extorted by him, they start to grumble. And I'm sure Jesus is going... Why do, not, why, why do not my people understand this basic concept of loving each other? Why do they not get this? Why do Jews not get this? We should understand this because God loves us so much. So then it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. And he said, I will give my wealth to the poor. Lord, and then he calls him Lord. And he says, if I have cheated on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, what if your tax return came back four times bigger than you thought it was going to be? <gasps> <laughs> going to Florida, buying saints tickets. I don't know. Everybody has a different thing, but he's like, I am going to give it back. Now, the funny thing in there is he says, Lord. In those times, Caesar was Lord. To call anybody else Lord was bad news. Especially for somebody who worked under the Roman government. And so he is saying, no, Caesar is not Lord. You are Lord. There's something in his heart that recognizes who Jesus really is. And not only does he recognize it and internalizes it, he publicly vocalizes it. Lord. Not my money, not my power, not my status. You are Lord. And then Jesus responded, salvation. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And then one of the most powerful things, probably the the sum, to sum up the book of Luke. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. I love the fact that this is one of the last things Jesus did before he went to Jerusalem to be crucified. He goes to the house of the one person, the last person on earth, on earth that you think he would go to. One of the last things he does as Lord, as Messiah on this planet, is to go hang out with the biggest, most public lowlife there probably is. And I'm thinking, he's about to die, and he can do that. I'm going to Walmart, and I'm too busy. So, are you with me still? All right, I appreciate it, because I'm all over the place. So, here's the deal. I I call this um, thing the anti-kingdom. On the one hand, you have the kingdom of God. And kingdom of God does not mean heaven. Are you with me on that? I know Crispin talks about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is not heaven kingdom of God is where God interacts, is able to pierce through the brokenness and bring a touch of him to the earth and to people. And so when you have an amazing interaction with somebody and you know it's a God moment, that's a kingdom of God moment. When someone is helped, when Zacchaeus said four times what I've stolen, that's a kingdom of God moment. The kingdom of God is is is, uh, kind of floating all around us. And when we can... It's not the force, by the way. (laughs) When, When we can tap into it and do and live the way God wants us to be, reaching out to this people like Zacchaeus, that is a kingdom of God moment. Jesus said this. He said, The kingdom of God... And this is how we know it's not heaven somewhere far off in the sky... The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to see, to say, here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is already around you. The kingdom of God is all, already around you. So when someone says, oh, people who do this, this kind of sinner, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not saying you're going to hell or you're going to heaven as a kingdom, it's saying you have no place in this, this kingdom of God that is, is already here. Okay. So this anti-kingdom idea here, here's just a few things about it. Zacchaeus used his wealth. He used his place for status and power. That is an anti-kingdom thing. Anytime we use our own power, our own wealth, our own status, our own connections for our benefit to the detriment of somebody else, this is not how God would do it. This is anti-kingdom. I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. One, One is a true story, and it kind of makes me laugh. This guy... Had a house, had a backyard, had fences on two sides, liked it the way it was. His neighbors had bushes on the thing, so he he was fine. Got along with his neighbors. Neighbors moved. New neighbors moved in. New neighbors put up a fence. Put it a foot and a half over on his side of the property line. And then argued about it. If you build a fence on your neighbor's property to try to get six extra inches or whatever out of space. That is not a kingdom thing. You're stealing. You know what else is not a kingdom thing? You go to Walmart, you push the cart out with all your pampers and your DVDs, and you, and you go out to your car, your SUV, you load everything, and you leave the cart right in the middle of the road, right in the middle of a parking place behind someone's car, right up against their front bumper so when they pull out, it's like, scrapes their paint. That is not a kingdom thing. That is anti-kingdom. When you have neighbors that move in and they've got a junky car and they've got 18 dogs. (laughs) So that's my neighbor. And you intentionally... Don't go to meet them. You intentionally distance yourself. You call and complain about their dogs before you talk to them. That's anti-kingdom. Are you getting what I'm saying? Kingdom kingdom life is not necessarily these moments when we're in church and we're like, Woo! Hallelujah! But, man... God showed up today. That's not necessarily a kingdom moment, although it can be. That might just be emotions. A kingdom moment is when you are in the middle of your daily life and God wants to do something and you say, I want to be involved in that rather than I want what I want. Kingdom moment? Let somebody get in line ahead of you in Walmart. You see... You know, you've got your four things and you see a woman who's got a cartload of stuff and and 16 kids and 18 dogs. And I don't don't know. (laughs) You know, and 18 dogs in Walmart. I'd love to see that. And she's having a hard time. And you're like, but I was here first and I got to get home. It's anti-kingdom. I'm not making a rule that you have to do that. I'm just saying, what does God want to do? Does he want to use you for a kingdom work? Or does he want to? Well, I guess what I'm asking is, have you invited him into the dark places of your heart? And said, point those out and show me whatever offends you. This is a good way to find out if you are living a kingdom life or an anti-kingdom life. Because if you said, dear Lord, look into my heart. Show me what offends you, because I'm about to build this fence on this guy's property that's not mine. (laughs) Or you say, our neighbors are so loud. I'm going to call the police. I'm going to egg their house. I'm going to get them 14 more dogs. I don't know what that would do. And do you say in your heart, God, show me what offends you. Show me the darkness in my heart. And then you change your mind and go, man, I don't want to be that neighbor. I, I, I don't want to be the neighbor that reacts to that neighbor, because if I'm that neighbor, I'm going to be twice as bad as that neighbor. Now, obviously, there's, a, there's a, a time when you have to, things progress and stuff doesn't happen. You may have to go to the police. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, where is your heart when you start? This thing. And so Zacchaeus is up in this tree. Something has happened, and he's thinking something's changing. He can sense it in his heart, and he feels this need for power to diminish. And so he moved from the anti kingdom to the kingdom. He decided that I'm no longer going to overcharge people. In fact, I'm going to pay people back, I'm no longer going to steal. Because what I'm doing is I'm making people's life difficult. Do you make people's life difficult? Do you cut in front of people on the highway? Pull out in front of people? That's making, life's pe- making life difficult for people. Yeah, slow down a little bit. <laughs> Everybody's about to start like, their pet peeve driving habits. I mean, if you call someone to be intimidated or threatened, if you say to your neighbor, <laughs> okay, in Kenner, I think it was the year before last, somebody had Christmas decorations up by our house and they called code enforcement and said, I think these people have too many decorations at their house. And so code enforcement comes out and gives these people a hard time, but ultimately there's nothing they can do. And so what the guy does is he puts up this giant lighted sign that says, I don't know who you are, but thank you for calling code enforcement on me. Okay, you have to decide if that's kingdom or anti kingdom. I, 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 I think it's funny, but but that may not have been the that may not have it balances out. That may not have been uh, the best approach. And, and the other thing is anti kingdom; it was two faced. You have this one guy on the one hand who's a Jew. He's one of God's people. His name means the righteous one. And he is stealing from God's people and from God. Here's the weird part Was it legal for him to do that? Yeah, that was part of the Roman law. It was perfectly legal. Was it biblical? No. We are faced all the times with things that may be legal, but aren't necessarily biblical. Anti-kingdom can be legal, but anti-kingdom cannot be unbiblical. And so that's when we have to invite God into our heart. We have to take the word and kind of dig into it and make those decisions of who, who we're going to be In God's kingdom. And I do mean in God's kingdom, because if we're really following him, we're going to live in in that part of God's kingdom that is here. And then hopefully we'll interact with other people and they will have a kingdom rather than an anti-kingdom experience with us. So Jesus brings the kingdom here. He, He invites Zacchaeus to be a friend. I want to be your friend. I want to spend time with you. When you have people over for crawfish and beer and cheesecake, I love cheesecake, Uh, (laughs) cheesecake, and um, you're spending time with your friends, you're doing relationship with them, right? You learn to trust each other and count on each other and call on each other for help. And Jesus is inviting Zacchaeus into this new relationship with him, this friendship. Yes, Jesus is Lord, He is Messiah, He is the Son of God, but He's His friend. I always had a hard time with that. Jesus says, my my buddy. But that's what He's inviting men to. I don't want to be one of the people that grumble. When that happens. Any grumblers in here? <laughs> I like you. I'm a grumbler. I want to be ecstatic when God, when, when God has a kingdom moment with the people I wouldn't associate with. I told my wife, I was like, one day I'd like to start a church that's just made up of like ruffians, Homosexuals, convicts—I want all the people who wouldn't go to a regular church. You know, I, I want the crazy people. I think Crispin got all them right. <laughs> the crazy people. All right, let's just do this one part. That's um, <laughs> uh, like me and my wife. That's a, you know, if we if we get a cat, it'll be uh, it'll include the cat. So here's what happened. Zacchaeus says I am going to repay anybody. Now we can think of that as, you know, kind of a casual thing, but tax collectors kept records. Probably detailed records. And so he probably, you know, went straight through it, you know, Bob Stevens, let's go. There's no Bob Stevens in Israel, okay? So he's like, "Bob, I need to pay him back this much." And Larry <laughs> These are Israeli names. Larry. Um, Habakkuk. You know, so he's going to go through and he is going to repay those people. And if he's anybody that he's robbed. Now, there's a difference. He's going to repay what he legally took. But if he's robbed anybody, he's going to pay them back four times. That's eight. Four times. What we have to understand about this is this is a repentance situation. It is not what we might think of as penance. Somebody explain to me what penance is. I know you know. Try to pay... Who said that? Is that you? Trying to pay to cover your own (laughs) sins. That's what penance is. You did something wrong. You have to now do something in order to make up for that. That is not a real biblical concept. We do not have to... Equal out bad versus good. We do not have to pay a certain amount or volunteer a certain amount. I didn't say that. You need to volunteer all the time. (laughs) Volunteer a certain amount or help old ladies across the street a certain amount or whatever it is to make up for your sin. Jesus died to pay for that sin. It's paid for. Stop trying to pay for it. That's a wrong, theologically incorrect teaching Zacchaeus did not do penance to get rid of guilt to to make himself right with God by saying Lord he was made right with God now another thing that he did in this um, paying back he was not participating in karma now we we know that because it was Israel But a lot of us still work under the concept of karma, an Eastern religious idea. Somebody tell me what karma means. What goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. That's biblical. Uh, But we take that too far. You guys remember the show, uh, My Name is Earl? This, This was Earl's whole thing. He did all these bad things. He wanted to go back and do good things in order to what? Balance Everything out. But you can't balance everything out. It is impossible. You have 562 tons of sin, and you have like little or no means to level that out. But Jesus is big enough that he can level that out. So he wasn't trying to balance out good versus bad in his life. It's not karma. That's not, it's not real. That's not godly. What he was doing was something else. He was paying restitution. Restitution is simply this. Zacchaeus recognized in that moment of meeting Jesus, in that moment of being touched by God, he realized the unimaginable goodness of God. The Incomprehendable... Uh, t- t- incomprehensible for Mississippi, remember? Okay. And <laughs> I can say that. incomprehensible love of God. He interacted with the kingdom of God. And in experiencing the kingdom, it was natural for him to want to share in that kingdom. So when he realized... God has been so good to me. Why in this kingdom world should I not now be good to other people? Why should I receive from God this blessing of life and living in the kingdom and being friends with Jesus, but still steal from other people? If God has really touched us, then all of a sudden we start living differently to other people. Because we recognize the goodness of God We don't go from living in the kingdom To anti-kingdom And that is what happened It was not karma It was not penance It was Zacchaeus having this moment Where he realized I'm going to live for God And as good as he treats me I have to treat other people Have you had that moment in your life? Have you had that moment today? I forget that all the time I get so focused on me and all of my stuff, and I forget how good God is to me. And I forget to invite him to search me and know me. That's why we did that at the beginning. So, this is my question. Do you live in the kingdom or the anti-kingdom? Which one predominates your life? I know which one predominates my life or dominates my life. It's probably anti-kingdom. I'm pretty selfish, and I can be, uh, I can be mean when I want to be. I was pretty anti-kingdom in the auto zone the other day. <laughs> and I can justify it and say I had good reason. There was like 16 people in line and one cashier. <sighs> but I should have brought shalom, and I should have brought kingdom, and I didn't. So my challenge, I guess, to in- invite God in and figure out what's anti-kingdom in your life. Not here, not in your prayer time, not necessarily in your home, although some of you need to bring kingdom life to your home, and your wives and your husbands and your children. But when you're out in the world, when you're with people, when you're in the bank when you are at work and you've got the coworker who is just driving you nuts? Are you living a kingdom life or an anti-kingdom life? Are you Zacchaeus who has accepted that friendship and that lordship and you're now going to live differently because of God's goodness to you? Or are you going to be like me in AutoZone? Let's pray. Father, I just simply ask that this body, this community, this family, these friends will care about each other, will love each other, will know each other, will not let anybody slip through the cracks. And in so doing, they will be sharing a kingdom life and letting other people experience that kingdom so that those people will let others experience the kingdom and so forth and so on. God, I pray that this body, that this church, that this community, that this group of friends and family will, in their daily travels, their daily task, in their day-to-day mundane stuff, that they will see the Zacchaeuses. People who are looking, but they're hurting, and by all accounts... They should just be cast out and they will see how God wants to reach in their life with the kingdom of God. God, let us look for the people who have climbed a tree, who are dying, and they've embarrassed themselves to catch a glimpse of you. God bless everybody here. Keep them close together. A community of love and acceptance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed, people.